All right, everybody, welcome back to the Three Board Guys podcast. I'm your host, Paul Howard. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about politics and government spending. My guest today is a man who is going to remain anonymous, but will be a friend of the show. He has a PhD in genetics that he received from Yale, has been published in several uh, biological journals and magazines, has studied at several prestigious universities, including MIT, Princeton, and Cambridge. Um, we're very lucky to have him here today with us. Before we get to talking, though, if you like what you hear, please share our links uh, on your social media and with your friends. Recommend us to your friends. Shout us out. Uh, or send us an email at the number three board guys entertainment at gmail.com. And our website, where you can get the links to all of our social media, is at the number three board guys.com. All right, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Big surprise that you came down. Uh, I was a, a shock. I'm really glad to have you here. We'll definitely sit down a few times before you're out of town. You obviously didn't come down here for this, which is totally cool, but uh, I appreciate your time. So, what are we talking about today, man? Yeah, so uh, I've got a long list of random topics that we're going to talk about, but today is going to be why nobody should be in favor of the public financing of higher education. All right. At least not the way we do it here in America. <laughs> okay, so before we get started, since this is your first show, I'm going to ask you a few questions um, that are just basic background information. Uh, people read the bio, obviously, before they watch all, all, whatever, 10, 20 of you now, I think we got. So you are a geneticist. Is that the official title of what you do? Well, I think... Uh, most people would just say that I'm a scientist. You're uh, a scientist. So I got my PhD in genetics uh, in 2016, and uh, I've actually been doing uh, cell biology and biochemistry mostly since then. Okay, and what's your undergrad in? Don't you have two degrees? Uh, molecular biology and chemistry. Okay, so two majors, I guess. Yeah, that's oh, right. Okay, and you got, did you say where you got your PhD? Because I think that's kind of important. Oh, it's, it's at Yale. Yeah, sort of a big deal, uh, which... You know, obviously, it's pretty impressive seeing that you come out of the rural community here um, outside of Kansas City. You went a long way, and uh, that's pretty freaking awesome. So, uh, real quick background. You don't have to say where you work now. Um, you work in the tundra uh, to us, but bigger, bigger university in the northern part of America. And what are you, what are you researching? So, I uh, work on aging, mostly. So, I work on... A problem of how long-lived mice uh, basically regulate their own biochemistry in a way that contributes to their longevity. Um, so the mice that I work on uh, have single gene mutations that make them live about 40% longer than their normal siblings. Okay, that's crazy. So, and you were going to translate that into humans eventually. So you're making mice live longer, and we're trying to make people live longer with that research. Eventually, yeah. Or more importantly, treat some uh, pathologies that are associated uh, with age, like uh, Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. Okay. All right. So what we're talking about today, though, has nothing to do with what you do on a daily basis. And you are somebody who works in, works in a public university and you are here to talk about why you don't think that they should be publicly funded, 
Correct. Well, let's get into the history of this a bit. So recently with the election, one of the topics that's come up a lot, especially in the Democratic Party, is how to manage the student loan debt crisis. Um, and so a lot of people rem remember back in 2007 and 2008 how we had a major economic collapse that was uh, to some extent blamed on a mortgage bubble. And now we have an enormous student loan debt bubble uh, that's got a lot of people worried. And so some of the people on the left side of the political spectrum have suggested that, you know, one way to tackle this at a long term is to make public colleges and uh, universities tuition free, just like they've done in Norway, for example. Um, but in Norway, it actually works, and it works well because their government financial system is structured very differently from ours. Uh, and with the current structure of the American government and the American financial system, there's no way to possibly make it work here. Um, Would you say that in Norway, it's it works because the people are on board with it working rather than where you're in America and you have this bipartisan, crazy divide? Yeah, so the other thing is, is the structure of the Norwegian tax system and economic system. So in America, um, we currently have uh, an enormous um, national debt. Um, so in 2020, we're going to have a $3 trillion deficit. Um, and that's going to give us around a total national debt of $27 trillion. Um, whereas Norway, which only has 5 million people, so that's smaller than New York City, uh, has a national uh, trust that basically has a trillion dollars in savings. Um, so per capita, the country is enormously richer than us. Um, and it's basically because they've got the right blend of socialist and capitalist uh, uh, practices. So it's taking both sides of the coin, but yeah, but in balance yeah, and not insanely exactly. apart. Exactly. So, you know... Uh, in America, socialism is kind of a dirty word, but we have lots of socialized things that people really like. So, for example, public schools are a socialist program because socialism is just when a group of people get together and pool their resources to do something for the common good, right? And so uh, and we are fortunate that in this small town where we live and where we grew up, um, the public schools are a point of enormous pride for the community. And right. so that's a point where socialism worked well because uh, we had excellent opportunities at a school uh, that didn't have a lot of resources, but had a lot of people who cared and a lot of people who gave everything they could to make sure their kids uh, got the opportunities they could have. Um, and so uh, because Norway has a philosophy that Norway belongs to all Norwegians and they socialized national mineral rights, so basically all of the minerals and oil that are mined in Norway, uh, all of that money goes to a public trust, which can pay for things like pension and healthcare and education and so on, in addition to the regular tax revenue. Sorry, I muted myself there for a second. We had a little lag. All right, so why? So what's going on with the left side of things? Uh, or I'm going to call it what it is, left and right wing, whatever. Um, you're saying that there's a new... Um, policy coming up or a new wave movement for the left and these giant student debts and also why you don't think that public we should publicly fund things so talk me through that yeah so i have 
six uh, bullet points that we'll go through. So the first is economics, that the American economic system, the way it's structured now, just can't support public financing of all of the universities. Um, the second bullet point is that tuition is, is inflating at an enormous rate, and we'll talk about that. Um, the third is that we have bigger priorities right now. Uh, and the fourth point is that universities um, aren't really accomplishing the things that they're supposed to be accomplishing, and that um, what universities produce are diplomas, which are certificates of achievement, which are oftentimes falsified. Uh, and so that gets to the fifth point. And then number six is that the universities oftentimes have uh, compensation strategies that probably should be illegal. Uh, and the fact that they're not illegal is because of uh, major problems in our legal system. All right. So, so bullet point number one, let's go. Yeah, let's get it. So the first point, right, is that we have our enormous economic deficit. So basically last year, so 2020 is not over yet, but last year, 2019, the federal government had an income of $3.5 trillion. Um, and the federal budget basically has different categories of costs. So the first are the mandatory costs, which are Medicare, Medicaid, uh, and Social Security. So these are entitlements. And then there's interest. So when you take all the mandatory costs and the interest, that's $3.1 trillion. So that's already almost... It's all spent. It's gone. Almost all of the income is spent yeah. on mandatory expansion. We have enough for a soda. And that's it. Well, yeah. So we don't even have enough to, to, cover, to cover the defense budget after that. Okay. So, and we've know, been so, at war for 19 years. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. And, and so already almost half of the defense budget is going to be on borrowed money. Okay. And then you have non-defense spending, which is going to be uh, government subsidies for education, research, and basically anything else, roads, whatever. Um, and that's entirely going to be borrowed, basically. Right. And that's... Uh, $661 billion last year. Okay. So um, so last year, we were only at about a trillion dollar deficit. With all the stimulus packages this year, it's more like $3 trillion. Um, Are they, real quick, can we pause? Right now, obviously, there's another stimulus in the works. What do you think is going to happen with that? Uh, honestly, I don't know at this point. Um, the, the elections are so hard to predict here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an absolute fucking circus. Pardon yeah. my language. You can say fuck if you want to. <laughs> you don't have to. And don't let my ADD derail this whole thing. <laughs> all right, let's get back, to, get back to the point here. All right, sorry. All right, it's all right. So anyway, like a lot of people when they're proposing this will say, well, I've got an idea for a tax that will cover it. But they always forget to mention that there's still that other trillion dollars where we're already in the hole. Right. <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, getting a, a enormous tax through Congress um, is going to be hard. And we can't even do it now when we already really, really need it. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, I just don't think it's realistic to say, well, let's just add another enormous expenditure <laughs> and come up with an enormous tax and then forget about the fact that we're already creating this huge national debt. And um, this is going to be a, probably a bigger problem for next following generations than it is for us, right? Right. Especially uh, the the older uh, people in America who will die before uh, if we get to a point where um, our national debt becomes a major crisis. So 
The next point I want to talk about is tuition. So tuition inflates at a rate that's double the economic inflation rate. Um, so basically, since 2000, the price of college and tuition has doubled, which is insane. Um, and in a minute, we're going to talk about why that's happening. But there's no reason to think that that's going to stop anytime soon, right? So uh, if we just throw public money at that, how are we going to prevent a constantly ballooning expense, right? So we have to, in order for college and uh, universities to be tuition-free, we'd have to have some sort of price control. So, and that would be, for me, I would think that at some point, if the government is going to make the public pay for tuition, they should step in and say, hey, public university, you can't charge an arm and a leg and everyone's teeth just to, to come here. Exactly. That's so insane. We'd basically have to socialize it like we've done with right. public schools and then elect you know, a school board. And a lot of public universities sort of already have an elected board. Um, but a lot of times those will be people who happen to own a lot of apartment buildings next to the university and have an interest in lots of students being there. Right, because they're not going to get paid the yeah. crazy amount of money that some president of a college is already getting paid. Exactly. Do you know what like the average salary is, or is that something we're going to have to give a Google to later? Uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a okay. minute. Okay, cool. Um, and it varies based on what position you're at at a university, but some of them are, are exorbitant, as you can imagine. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, so the next point um, is priorities. And so at this point, I'm going to talk about Viagra for a little bit. Go for it, man. <laughs> All right. So do you You're remember... A chemist. I'm a chemist too, so by, yeah. by education. So hey, let's talk about Viagra yeah, and boners. Do you, do you remember a few years ago uh, when Donald Trump wanted to ban all transgender people uh, from the military? I was in the military when that was going on, man. And it was coming out over tweets. And we're like, oh shit. Yeah. So that was a, that was a big mess. But uh, I saw a really interesting uh, sort of thought piece on this. And they talked about how uh, in 2014, the Department of Defense spent uh, like $84 million on Viagra and other erectile dysfunction pills. Why? Well, it's for the VA, basically. <laughs> okay. Right? So, um, and that's like, that's 10 times the cost of taking care of all transgender people in the military. When you say taking care of, what do you mean? I mean, providing them comprehensive care. And you would hope that your health insurance would cover it at least get you set right, right. Right. But no, we're not going to do that, according to Donald Trump and the military. Instead, we're just going to give old men recreational boner pills. Uh, and, you know, that just doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it. Um, so by analogy, publicly financing universities is the same thing. So we have an enormous need for early childhood care in America. So we need to universalize pre-K uh, and daycare in order to give uh, mothers and fathers the opportunities that they need to get to work. Uh, right. Well, and, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i go ahead and state a fact for you, because as you know, I'm, I'm a single father, and I have two toddlers yeah. that um, I pay for daycare uh, every, every two weeks, which is every time I get a paycheck. I make uh, enough money that I, I probably get a $1,500 paycheck every two weeks. Um, and of course I have a bonus structure and all that other stuff in 401k. So things are fine, but I pay every two weeks, $500, um, for my kids. So that's one third of my annual income right out, right out of the gate 
just goes to daycare. Yeah. Not to mention healthcare and everything else. And I'm not saying I think that healthcare should be socialized or or I I don't think, I don't don't know, man. I leave all that on the table because I have guests like you to come in and speak your mind and you say what you think and I'm not going to argue with you, you know, so. But I mean, you're the type of person who has a, a good management job. So, you know, even, and it's still taking you a third, right? Right. Of your paycheck to, to take care of your kids. And that's just for daycare. Um, and so if you want a strong economy and you want young people who are in the primes of their lives to be working, uh, then it's good to make sure that their kids are well cared for. And another point is... Um, is that something they do in Norway? Let's go back oh, to Norway. Oh, yeah, yeah. So all of, <laughs> all of uh, the countries who are... Um, doing better on the human development index than us, um, have much better, uh, social services around birth and early childhood care. Um, so another, another point that's really important is that in the United States, children who are born disadvantaged, uh, are behind in language learning compared to children who are born, uh, into families that have good economic means. Um, and this, these sorts of disadvantages compound throughout their lives, right? Because if you show up to kindergarten behind in communication, then you're not going to pick up on all the basic skills that are being taught there, and then you're not right. going to be picking up on the slightly more complex skills the next grade up, and so on and so forth. Um, and so I think, and this is just my opinion, but I think the data suggests that the early childhood care is probably more important for the long-term development of an individual than, you know, going to college and doing it at whatever you do there, right? Some people take it seriously. Some people get drunk <laughs> and uh, yeah, party. You and... took it seriously. I got drunk and party. And, you know. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> but that's not going to happen at a daycare, right? Every kid needs the opportunities. They need a specialist who can work on them with the alphabet and counting and so on and so forth. So when this, this is sort of a comparison, whereas... Uh, College is the Viagra that people don't need as badly as the people who need genuine medical care. Um, So, all right, so let's talk about why tuition is inflating at such an enormous rate. Um, And at this point, I'm going to direct you to a book. If you haven't read it, you'll really enjoy it. It's called Bullshit Jobs, A Theory by David Graeber. Anytime you read a thought piece on the internet about why the price of college is getting so out of hand, they're going to probably quote this book. Um, And so the idea is that universities now, they're not spending any more on professors or lecturers than they did before, right? And actually, we're putting more and more students into classes, so class sizes are getting bigger. So if you've got a lecturer that's not getting paid anymore, and he's teaching more people than ever before, where's all that money going? Right. Well, it's going to a giant bureaucracy, basically. So university bureaucracy gets bigger and more complex every year, and no one knows what they actually do. So here's a question for you. What does a provost do? I don't know what a provost is, okay? Yeah, so a provost is a high-ranking <laughs> official at a university. No one knows what they do. Oh, okay. Well, they make a lot of money. No one knows what they do. You no know what one they knows make? why. I, well, hundreds of thousands, basically. Oh, well, fuck them, man. I want that job. Right, and so <laughs> basically their job description is to make sure that the university runs smoothly. But that's nonsense, right? Because 
who who is not going to do things smoothly? Like your workforce is professors; they got it under control, right? right. They're all it, PhDs, man. Right. Yeah. If, if you were a shift manager at an Arby's and said that your job was to make sure things run smoothly, I would believe you because stuff's going to go wrong there, right? <laughs> <laughs> like somebody's not going to show up. You're going to get a customer that's going to punch somebody. Like something's going to go I wrong. I gotta say, this is the second time. No, the third time since Three Board Guys came out nine days ago that Arby's has been brought in. <laughs> conversation but you get it though yeah, I get right it, like for sure trust me managing an arby's is hard work being a provost is what you're just you're just sitting there looking important and making a lot of money right uh and then in addition to the provost he there are so many administrative assistants and so many reporters and so many nonsense jobs so i get emails multiple emails every day working at a university about stuff that is just complete nonsense and every time a new reporter is hired, I have to add a new rule to my inbox to have their emails automatically deleted. So, for example, the pathology department at the University of Michigan has its own reporter. So that's a department of a department <laughs> has its own reporter. Why? It's not a town, right? Like, it's... it's so, and this person writes articles on nonsense i got an article about the employee of the month and it was a sympathy dog that people would pet so they would feel better what is happening why dude i hate okay obviously i'm sort of a right-wing gun-toting nut job i can't stand the safe space stuff or like here's your safe space have a pony that you get to feed carrots when you feel upset like no fuck you <laughs> quit yeah. crying well i think the point where we could agree <laughs> is that if you if you want a petting zoo and you're willing to pay for it out of your own money that's fine but it's not okay to take government funds and it's not okay to take tuition dollars and it's not okay to take healthcare dollars to pay for a petting zoo right uh that's just a misappropriation of funds. Uh, and so, you know, it, this is business ethics 101, right? That, you know, you work for a distributor of goods. And if a customer receives a good that is subpar, they're going to return it to you because you broke your social contract. Right. That's just not happening at universities and university hospitals. Um, right? That there is no accountability to anyone. And so they can have this hyperinflated bureaucracy where they have all these people doing things which they aren't doing shit yeah so they what and more importantly they, they fail to contribute to the product that is being sold so which you're, is the degree exactly and so you're paying for a product but all this money is being misallocated away from that product pay the professors more is what you're getting at and i'm not i'm or, not saying you're just getting charge that. less just, charge get, less just money. get rid of the reporter get rid of the petting zoo uh you know get rid of the secretary that fills out the time card for the reporter because you don't need her anymore once the reporter's gone and right. you can really sort of scale back on all this infrastructure that doesn't meaningfully contribute to the mission right um so then uh you know we can talk about sort of what's happening to professors as well in this context so professors now spend less time than ever before actually teaching because when you get a big sort of corporatization of a university, what ends up happening is the people at the top don't do anything, but to make it look like they're doing something, they force a bunch of metrics and quantification of productivity on the people below them. So now professors spend more time than ever filling out 
self-evaluations and quantifying how many exams they're giving and what the grades are and filling out these complicated reports, which once again, don't meaningfully contribute to the mission at all. Right. It just gives the provost something to look at. So he looks busy and important. Um, so then of course, on top of that, professors spend a lot of time taking mandatory training courses on what you do if there's a fire. <laughs> and it's like, you don't really need to take that every six months, but you have to, because otherwise the fire marshal at the university wouldn't have anything to do to keep himself busy. Right. So, I mean, we do, I'm not going to say where I work, obviously, but we do every quarter mandatory training on if there's an active shooter. And the training basically uh, comes to get out of the building like that's it but it's an 11 minute video of like why you should why you should run out of the building when someone's in the building shooting people yeah and you know to some extent these training courses are good but you also have to balance them with productivity so every minute that you're in a training course is a minute that you're not actually doing your job right it's a minute that you're not doing the work at the distributor you work at or it's a minute that you're not teaching your students or or advancing your own knowledge of of your of your science or yeah, skill or whatever it yeah. is. And I mean, obviously if you're going to teach something, you need to be up to date on everything. So if you're busy filling out surveys on, on uh, why you think the goat got employee of the month, then you're not doing your fucking job. Exactly. Right. Or, or if I'm a scientist, even if I'm, even if I'm just reading the three page article on Anna, the wonder dog employee of the month. Oh, it was a, a dog. Yeah. Why'd I think it was a goat? <laughs> well, because we brought up petting zoos. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but if I'm reading that article, then I'm not doing research. Right. Right. And that's, that's a misappropriation of federal funds because that's, you know, that's where my funding comes from to do my research. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a, this is not only a business management problem. This is an ethical problem because the universities are not holding up their social contract with their consumers, who are the students, or with their patients. Um, okay, so now we're going to talk about the fifth point, which is what a degree actually is, right? So a degree is a piece of paper that certifies that you learned or accomplished something. And right? they're not all created equally. No. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about... Uh, when I was a graduate teaching fellow, um, and I was uh, teaching an undergraduate uh, course, and so I, I was in charge of grading the quizzes and keeping the grade books. And uh, the first time I graded a quiz, I didn't get a bell curve. I got a, a bimodal distribution, so that's when you have two peaks. I got a peak of A's and a peak of F's with nothing in between. Which is uncommon, right? And it's not what you would expect. You would always expect a bell curve. Yeah, and so I, I, I thought, well, maybe this is a fluke. And uh, then it happened again, and then it happened again. And so I went to a professor, and I asked her, I was like, well, do you think I've been making the answer keys wrong? Do you think I'm grading uh, in, a, in a way that's wrong? She says, oh, no, this is what happens every time. Why? <laughs> so... It's because, as we mentioned, I went to Yale, which is, um, there, there's two categories of students who are there. There are the smart kids. Wait, let me guess. The smart kids who got there, like, out of the country bumpkin town, like you came from, on their own no, no, no. doing? No. Or, so, or the rich kids? No? So the, the, there are no country bumpkin kids there, and it, I mean, at least not at the undergraduate level. Yeah, at that's At the PhD true. level, there are. Um, okay. So... 
the, the, um, you have to have sort of enormous privilege uh, to get there, or you have to have an interesting life story. Um, and, you know, the country kids are not interesting. Um, but there are the smart kids who, who genuinely deserve to be there, and then there are the kids who are there simply because they're interesting. And that includes people like George Bush, um, right, who talks about how he got a C average while he was at Yale, um, but still became the president. <laughs> and um, if you get a C average at Yale, it's because you failed every course. Um, so this is, uh, I'm probably not supposed to talk about this, but grades, for it, man. grades are heavily inflated at the Ivy League universities. Um, so it's basically impossible to get below a C plus. You can't fail, basically. Yeah. Because you you're there because you're supposed to be there. Yeah. So the professors actually have to fill out special paperwork if they want to give you below a C. Really? Yeah. They have to justify giving you a bad grade. That's messed up, man. And so the, so the, the kids who are there who get A's deserve those A's. If you get below an A, it's probably because your grades were pushed up to compensate. And this is not the same as a curve, right? So, so if you got a, uh, got a B, you may have got a D. Yeah. Oh, my God. So a, a curve is when you adjust the scores to compensate basically for the teaching strategy. Um, and so a curve is a mathematical transformation. Um, inflation is not. It's basically the professors look at the grades and they say, well, the lowest grade can't be lower than a C plus, so we're going to make it that. And all the people who earn days are going to get that. And then we're just going to arbitrarily draw lines down this list of people who are ranked in order to decide who gets a B plus, B, B minus, et cetera. This is why we shouldn't have petting zoos at schools, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so in this sense, the diploma is falsified. Right. Absolutely. Because you didn't actually accomplish what it's saying you accomplished. And then there are degrees that are bullshit, in my opinion. No offense. Uh, I'm not going to name any bullshit degrees, but we all know what I'm talking about. And then there are degrees like you, what you and I have, like molecular biology and chemistry, and I'm a biochemistry guy with a, a Spanish minor, mostly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, those are well-earned degrees if you earn them and you get GPAs like we did. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and so basically we've got an enormous price for a fake product that isn't accountable. And you know, this process is completely unaccountable to anyone. Right. Um, and then, so I'll just tell you one more great inflation story. So this is the worst one I've ever seen. So this isn't just me who's going to say these things. I, when I first saw this, when I first experienced this, I thought maybe this was an isolated incident. So I went and talked to a lot of my friends who are also teaching fellows. And they're like, oh yeah, we've all been experiencing the same thing. And they were all equally shocked as I was because they didn't know about it. And so, you know, remember uh, a while ago, there was this big upset about this weird admission strategy where all these famous people's kids were getting into universities. And like two of them are in prison now making license plates. According to Ricky Gervais. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, a lot of people were shocked about this. And um, people who are on the inside, who, you know, sort of people like me who grew up with small town and small town ideologies, who ended up on the inside, are just not surprised at all by what we're saying. Right. right. Um, so the, the last great inflation story I'll tell you is I was teaching this class that was, um, it was mixed, graduate students and undergraduates. And um, the graduate students were phenomenal. Um, because the graduate school doesn't care about money. 
they're admitting people there based on talent alone. Um, right. So, and they pay you basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to and, come there and they can't, aff- so the graduate school, they can't afford to bring in people who are not going to pull their weight because you actually have to do research. Right. And, right. Um, and you have to do productive research so they can continue to get grant money. And so, uh, anyway, but there were some undergraduates and, uh, you know, we had one undergraduate who was a complete rock star, um, and did just as well as the graduate students. Um, and an undergraduate who just didn't do anything, didn't turn anything in, uh, and barely showed up. And, um, of course, like, I won't name names, but, uh, you know, I, I filled out the grade book and at the end I recommended grades, right? So all the grades I recommended for the graduate students based on their performance were accepted without question. The grades that I recommended the undergraduates, right? One of them recommended an A, then of course at the other end of the spectrum, one of them I recommended an F because he just didn't do anything. He earned a 17% in the class. Yeah, screw that guy. When the class average, <laughs> you take him out of the equation, the class average was around a 90. Okay. Oh, and then he brought it down to like a 75. Yeah, and this I don't is, know how this is because of all the graduate students <laughs> who are pulling up the, the average by a long way. And uh, anyway, <laughs> so I, uh, I recommended the grades. The graduate students got what they got, no questions asked. The undergraduates, the professor comes to me and she says, this is the course organizer, says, Joe, I don't know what to do. Should I give this kid a C or a D? And I said, you should give him an F. And she's like, <laughs> I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> and I was like, I can't be of any further help to you then. <laughs> and so she gave him a C minus. <laughs> well, there you go. And so uh, now, I mean, I don't know, this, this kid could be operating on somebody right now for all I know. You know? He could be a, a doctor. And I have no idea. It could be, you know. Oh, my God. So Probably an army doctor, though, so don't worry. <laughs> and then <laughs> Giving Viagra to the old guys. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, and then finally, the last point is the compensation strategies of the universities. So some of the highest paid people at private universities are going to be the endowment managers. So an endowment is a hedge fund that's attached to the university, uh, and the managers of this are going to get paid in excess of a million dollars a year. Um, and their whole job is to basically keep this pool of money continuously growing. Now, there's enough money there to dramatically lower the price of tuition across the board if they wanted to. But they're not using it for that. They're using it for uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. So at Yale, the law school has an endowed sushi party Every I was going to say, are they having like eyes wide shut parties, just massive orgies and stuff going on? Probably. Uh, not with the endowment. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was invited to one once, but... <laughs> okay, well, that's another podcast. But... but it was not supported by the endowment. It was not officially university sanctioned, so... Uh, <laughs> please don't sue me. <laughs> um, I-, I didn't attend. I declined immediately, but... <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Dude, the endowment and the oh, people the endowment, making a yeah. million dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. So, so the endowment can be spent on things like endowed sushi parties. So there's a sushi party every year. We can ignore the fact that there are hungry children in the United States, but at least those rich kids are getting sushi. Didn't you tell me that when you were doing research at MIT, they had like a beer fridge in the lab or something like that? That was not supported by taxpayer or university money. So. Oh, okay. So there we go. It's Then it's okay. Yeah. Which exactly. I totally agree with. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, we definitely, when I was in, uh, I won't say what school it was, but it was a, a gentleman's course in, in the military. Uh, we had a beer fridge in the corner, and every Friday at like 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock hit, and you know, yeah, pops you, were getting... You know, I think if you want to have you know, good, fun, appropriate social activities with your coworkers and you're paying for it out of your own salary, I'm all for that. I think that's right. great. And Just don't grope anybody or you'll get yeah, exactly. Brett Kavanaugh. And, and if you're, <laughs> and, you know, if, if like at MIT, if your boss wants to buy you beer out of his own salary, fantastic. What a great guy. Fantastic. What a great yeah. guy. Where were we? Okay, back to the endowment people. <laughs> yeah. We'll stop. Sorry. Right. So so that that's, that's an endowment issue. Um, but the bigger issue is the universities are already unfairly compensating people. So they're having a big push towards adjunct professors instead of tenure track faculty or tenure faculty. So these are people who are paid by the course. And in California, a lot of adjunct professors have to live in their cars and teach at multiple like community colleges and stuff because they can't get paid a fair salary. Wow. Uh, and then, you know, in my own experience, um, while I was a graduate student, I had to be a teaching fellow. We've already covered this. How much do you think I was paid to be a teaching fellow? Mm, 25000 a year? None. I wasn't paid anything at all. Oh, well, I, screw them. I had to do it while earning my income from my research activities. Right. But I had to do it under the guise of a training opportunity that was built in to the grant that funded my research activities during my first two years. Um, and keep in mind that while this was happening... So my first four years at Yale, Yale charged the National Institutes of Health tuition for me being a PhD student there, even though I only took classes for the first two years. So my first year, sorry, my fourth year at Yale, I was doing research full time and then teaching on top of that. And they were still charging tuition. They were charging my boss tuition out of her federal grant money. To keep you. Yes. So they were charging tuition while I was taking no classes, but while I was teaching and then not paying me for teaching. That is... I, and, I, pro I feel bad saying the F word while I'm sitting here talking with somebody who's so smart, you know? And But I'm just going to say that's effed up. Okay, It, it is. And so, you know, they'll, they'll probably, you know, th there would probably be some university administrator who could give you a very well-articulated pile of bullshit about why that's okay. You know, oh, I'm sure. And about why that's not an misappropriation of federal money. Um, but it's not immediately obvious to me. It's not immediately obvious to you. And it's not going to be immediately obvious to any level-headed person who listens to this. Right. Um, and so that suggests that it might just be chicanery. <laughs> that means mischief. <laughs> From the expression on your face. I was like, I was like, don't use words like that on here. <laughs> you don't know my <laughs> listeners. <laughs> um, and so we have this situation now where we've got a corporate institution that is got very suspicious compensation strategies for the people who are actually doing the real work, which is teaching. Right. Who's really paying a lot of money to people who are doing mysterious work, <laughs> which isn't actually work at all. Uh, and that is continuing to just develop this even more, right, and has no accountability. And so the question for you is, how do we make the federal government make this free for everyone? Okay, well, 
first of all, you're going to have to, one, here's the thing, is like if you're doing a comparison with Norway, in my opinion, like you're looking at 5 million people versus like what, nearly 400 now? Um, and we're spread out so geographically that even in these isolated pockets, like these small towns where we live, the variance of opinion, um, and opinions are absolutely not based on fact, which you and I can both agree on, um, is number one going to be the, the most difficult sell for this. Now, in my, in my mind, in my opinion, I would say that one, in order to eliminate the cost to the people, First of all, I think the socializing of pre-K and childcare is a necessity, and it should be put at the forefront. And then yeah, co- but college... Let me just interrupt you for a second. But the reason that it's not at the forefront is because those kids don't have the same political voice as the privileged yuppies who are yelling about their college bills. Yeah, and, and that's... And, you know, let me just say this. From a liberal perspective, right, so the, the liberals, the, the fundamental... Uh, aspect of the Democratic Party and the progressives is making the world better for the people who don't have power. And therefore, we should focus above all on the kids, right? Right. And that's and that I and that's something that I can agree with. As somebody who sits more right-winged, I do agree with that. And um I think that's that needs to be put at the forefront. And I think that higher education, in my opinion, is that that is a choice. That is an opportunity that you earn. Yeah, um, like you, Viagra. Yeah, well, you and I both got scholarships. Um, mine wasn't as great as yours, but, I mean, most of my college was paid for by academic achievement. Ooh, dang, really knuckled the table there. Um, but... I think that that's something that you should, you get to choose to do that, and you get to choose to spend your money on that. Now, that being said, in order to do that, the inflation level of tuition and everything and the cost of going there has to come down because it's insane that we're paying somebody hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to make things run smoothly where everybody who works there on the lowest level is a PhD. Okay? That's fucking stupid. So... What has to happen is if the government is going to fund this and going to fund these these colleges or the institutions, one, they need to come in and they need to look at all of those positions that are horseshit and cut them out. Um, that, that has to go, okay? So they have to cut the cost of operation. And then two, if the government is going to be involved, they need to ensure that, and this is just my opinion flat out, and I agree with it, disagree with it, love me or hate me, that what is being taught at universities is not politicized. Whether you are left-wing or you are right-wing, that bullshit stays out, and what needs to be taught there are the facts. So if you were, if you were being taught cell biology, talking about socialist ideals or... Uh, or capitalist ideals should not be brought into the equation. It is not allowed if if we're going to be fair across the board. Okay. Now, if you want to come into a class and take a class on politics, that's fine. But if I'm if I'm taking a literature course, um, don't don't make me read all the literature from Soviet Russia. Okay. Um, you can do it from, and some of it's important, like poetry by Akhmatova and things like that. I've read, you know, lots of that stuff. And I think it's super important to understand everything, but 
don't disallow any sort of like this is what we believe in over here this is what we believe in over here because i know like a phd he's a, a retired marine or not marine colonel army colonel he's got a phd in history and he told me he's like they'll never let me teach anywhere because i'm a right-wing nut job and they won't they won't hire me <laughs> yeah and i think it's important to say that um, even if there is public financing of colleges and universities, some of them, like Yale, for example, will always remain private. Right. Um, and, and that's the way it should be. And if it is private, you can teach whatever the fuck you want. You can exactly. talk, yeah. you can t- talk about how great Nancy Pelosi is all day long. If you're not willing to sit down and read about these things and or listen to a podcast like this, where we talk about stuff, you're never going to know what, what the facts are. And everything that we said today, or that you said, not everything that I said, everything that you said is a fact. Those are facts. Those are not opinions, and those are stories and analogies that back them up. So listen to that with an open mind, and then share it with people, and tell them to listen to it with an open mind. Change of heart, elect the right people, and then maybe we can move forward as a country. Otherwise, we're going to keep just digging a fucking hole, yeah. and we're going to bury this son of a bitch. Yeah, and uh, I'd just like to add a couple more things, just in case people are skeptical. So I, I used a private university as a source of a lot of my stories, because I wanted to make it personal to me. But uh, all of the issues about improper compensation and great inflation, these happen across the board. These happen at public universities, uh, uh, private colleges, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's just universal at this point. Um, and the other thing is, is that, you know, even though you and I are sort of on opposite ends of the political spectrum, what we've done today is we've talked about things that we both think are important. And I think that that's something that's missing a lot from modern politics is that people are focused on wedge issues and things that separate them. Uh, and they're just ignoring that, you know, everybody wants their kids to grow up well. Everybody uh, wants a brighter future for the, the people of this country. Thanks, computer, for adding that noise in. And uh, and I think this has been a really a good conversation, and I appreciate being here. Yeah, man, uh, I I appreciate you coming here. You know, originally we were gonna do this over Skype, and I was like, oh, it's gonna suck, because um, you know, I yeah, I just I I was not looking forward to the Skype conversation because you don't get the same feel as you do when you're sitting across the table from somebody. And we'll absolutely sit down over the next few days while you're still down here enjoying this warm 80 degree weather that we shockingly got. Um, again, man, uh, thanks for coming, and we'll sit down and record again in a minute. All right, everyone, thanks for listening to the show. I'm Paul Howard, your host. Please check out our website, the number threeboardguys.com, and it'll give you links to all of our social media pages. And you can find this episode on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. But you already know that because you're listening. Make sure you share this with your friends. If you thought what we talked about today was important, share it with people. Um, We'd love to have more listeners, and we appreciate your continued support.